0: Welcome to REEI Energy and Climate Podcast. This is ya Ting from REEI. We are a Beijing-based independent think tank with a focus on climate policy and energy transition. Last week, my colleagues Zhao An and Erin reviewed a study report from dozens of Chinese and international researchers on the health impacts of climate change in China and the Chinese government may do to deal with the challenges. So to learn more about the discussion, we encourage you to check out our last episode.
1: Hello everyone, this is zhang Very glad to be uh, talking to you again. In today's episode, we'd like to discuss the impact of Russia-Ukraine situation on EU natural gas supplies and how the EU can reduce its dependence on Russia oil and natural gas, based on a report recently, just last week, published by IEA International Energy Agency. The report's name is A ten point plan to reduce the European Union's reliance on Russian natural gas. Also we will briefly analyze the impact of the Russia Ukraine situation on the energy transition in the East Asia countries. Mainly China, Japan, and South Korea.
0: Due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine on 24 February, EU's reliance on importing natural gas from Russia is injected. For example, in 2021, the EU imported about 140 billion cubic meters of gas by pipeline from Russia, and. Around fifteen billion cubic meters was delivered in the form of liquefied natural gas. So the total one hundred and forty five billion cubic meters imported from Russia accounted for around forty five percent of the EU's gas imports and almost forty percent of its total gas consumption. So EU's dependence on Russian gas supplies is relatively high.
1: Indeed, uh, this situation is not good to the EU. The EU's commitment to achieve net zero emissions by 2050 will inevitably require a reduction in the use of the fossil fuels and also the import of the natural gas. However, the war between Russia and Ukraine highlights the kind of necessity and urgency of reducing Russian gas supplies. This IES analysis proposed 10 measures to reduce the dependence on Russian gas and oil. The 10 points cover the gas supply power system, and mainly it's about the gas supplies. The oil is not a story, but today we only uh, focus on the gas.
0: Yes, according to this IES report, if the EU adopts these 10-point measures, it could lead to a reduction in natural gas imports from Russia by more than a third within one year. But if EU also plans to take other additional temporary measures like increasing coal-fired power generation or heating, the near-term Russian gas imports could be reduced by more than 8 billion cubic meters or well over half in 2022 to 2023.
1: But adopting these temporary measures, especially increased coal-fired fleet to deepen the cut of natural gas volume from Russia, can still allow EU to walk on track towards fit 455 climate goals. My understanding is that the avoided carbon emissions from substituting natural gas in power generation and the heating with low carbon power like nuclear and biomass power may offer some space to burning coal, despite the fact coal combustion releases about twice as much carbon dioxide emission as natural gas.
0: This report states that the 10-point matters are in line with the EU's climate commitments and European Green Deal as well as outcomes achieved in the net 90 emission by 2050 roadmap, which decides the EU should completely eliminate its need for Russian gas imports by 2030. But due to the war, this process shall speed up, so maybe by 2025, EU will not need oil and gas supply from Russia.)
1: So let's look at the 10-point measures that this report proposed to help the EU reduce the natural gas reliance on Russia. So Yating, would you like to introduce the first one?
0: Uh, Sure. Firstly, in terms of gas supply, uh, no new gas supply contracts with Russia is crucial. Current gas import contracts are set to expire by the end of 2022. So no new gas supply and contracts with Russia will provide the EU with a clear near- term window of opportunity to significantly diversify its gas supplies and contracts towards other sources, taking advantage of the imports offered by its large liquefied natural gas and pipeline infrastructure. Secondly, it's necessary to replace Russian supplies with gas from alternative sources. This report projects that the additional gas uh, supply from non Russian sources could provide around 30 billion cubic meters of natural gas.
1: That sounds uh, quite interesting. And what are the other sources of gas supply apart from Russia?
0: A natural gas production inside the EU and the non-Russian pipeline imports including from Norway and Azerbaijan. The so IAEA's report analysis cited gas production inside the EU and the non-Russian pipeline imports could increase over the next year by up to 10 billion cubic meters from 2021. And in addition, given the ample access to Spiral gasification capacity, the EU has greater near-term potential to increase its liquefied natural gas imports.
1: In addition to the use of other sources of gas to replace Russian supplies, the gas storage is also important as it can help the EU to enhance the resilience of the gas system, mainly to meet seasonal demand fluctuations and to prevent spikes in gas prices due to demand surges or supply shortages. International energy Agency suggests that a gas injection or increasing the gas reserve in 2022 uh, needs to be around 18 billion cubic meters higher than the last year, the previous year. So you can say uh, the ten points uh, plan one by one is trying to use other sources uh, maybe um, same uh, as um, the natural gas and other sources uh, substituting natural gas to account the uh, what the sum uh, can be replaced so this is a, yeah it is a step by step plan uh,
0: the most important sectors where natural gas is used are. The- Power sector for power generation and the end use sector for heating. According to the IES data in 2019, residential heating accounts for about 40% of the total final natural gas consumption, and a big share of industry is powered by gas. So, starting with these two sectors to reduce the use of natural gas is also a key step.
1: So, for the power sector, Accelerate the deployment of the new wind and solar project uh, is very important. New renewable energy projects, uh, particularly uh, the utility-scale wind and solar PV project, uh, will add an additional 35 TWh hour of electricity generation, exceeding the already expected growth from those sources and reducing natural gas use uh, by 6 billion cubic meters.
0: In addition to the renewable energy for power generation, maximizing the use of existing dispatchable low emission sources for electricity generation is also important. These low emission sources is mainly about the nuclear and bioenergy. Nuclear power is the largest source of low emissions Electricity in the EU, but several reactors were taken offline for maintenance and safety checks in 2021. But this will return to safe operations in 2022. So, this report, the IAS report, estimates that an additional 70 terawatt hours of power generation from existing dispatchable low emission resources and reducing gas use for electricity by 13 billion cubic meters.
1: And next we talk about the bioenergy. So in 2021, large bioenergy plants in the EU are operating at around 50% of their total capacity. That means maybe they were short of the um, supplies and they cannot uh, operate in a higher percentage of the capacity. With the right incentives, and the sustainable bioenergy supply in place, this plant could produce an additional 50 hour of electricity in this year 2022, which is approximately 9 billion cubic meters gas.
0: So in addition to nuclear and bioenergy, do we have any other methods to maximize use of existing low carbon sources to generate electricity?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, You know, uh, methane gas recovery from landfills, which can reduce greenhouse gases and also provide additional energy source for power generation. So in last year, uh, COP26, many countries joined the methane uh, pledge to commit to reduce the methane emissions uh, by 30% uh, by 2030 uh, against the level in uh, 2020. So this is a good move. And among all the uh, fuels that methane can be reduced, the landfill gas uh, recovery uh, is, is one of the very important areas. So we don't know how much in the EU uh, the methane reduction could be achieved in the landfill sector, but I think uh, this is a quite important uh, timing for the EU to make most of the uh, opportunity to uh, find out the replacement of the natural gas. Uh, I think this area is definitely worthy of trying. Um, The high gas prices in the EU could result in the high wholesale electricity. This is another issue because the natural gas price was already uh, high in record in uh, 2021. Uh, due to this job uh, political conflict in Europe, uh, we suppose the natural gas price will continue to rise. So under this context, if the electricity price uh, is high and the uh, vulnerable communities and the vulnerable consumers will get the hit, so what can EU do to help them? The first is uh, enact short-term measures to shelter vulnerable electricity consumers from the high price, uh, the high gas price in the EU feed back into high wholesale electricity prices, potentially leading to the windfall profit for companies. So I think the windfall profit for companies might be a potential place for the government to Tax in order to help the uh, low income consumers. What do you think?
0: Yeah, the temporary tax matters could be considered to increase the windfall tax rate for poor companies. These tax revenues should then be redistributed to electricity consumers to partially of- offset higher energy bills. For example, Italy and Romania have already adopted measures to tax wind for profits in 2022.
1: After discussing how to diversify the gas supply and how to ramp up the power generation to substitute natural gas, uh, let us move to the last part, which I think the most cost-effective part, the end-user sectors mainly including building and industry sector. Yating, would you like to introduce the action point um, the report recommended?
0: Uh, Sure. IA's report recommends um, three measures to reduce natural gas use in the end-use sectors. First slide is about speeding up the replacement of gas boilers with heat pumps. We knew heat pumps offer a very efficient and cost-effective way of heating homes, replacing boilers that use natural gas or other fossil fuels. This report, estimates that reducing gas use for heating, can provide an additional two billion cubic meters in one year. And secondly, it's that to accelerate energy efficiency improvements in buildings and industry. Mainly through building retrofits to improve insulation and heat pump deployment, the report also um, projects that reducing gas consumption for heat by almost two billion cubic meters within one year, which can improve comfort and enhance industrial competitiveness. The last one is about encouraging a temporary thermostat. Adjustment by consumers. The average temperature for buildings heating across EU at present is about 22 Celsius degree. Adjusting the thermal side for buildings heating would deliver immediate annual energy savings of around 10 billion cubic meters for each degree of reduction, and it also bring down the energy bills for the residentials.
1: Yeah, although the avoided natural gas uh, consumption doesn't look like very uh, huge, but I think the uh, the cost to implement that uh, actions are also uh, very uh, low. I mean, under this uh, situation, uh, the general public might have strong support on those measures. Uh, I think it's it could be a good test to see whether uh, people and uh, uh, consumers may try their best to support the, uh, the action points. So in short, reducing the reliance on Russian gas will not be simple and will require concerted and sustained policy efforts across multiple sectors. Accelerated investment in clean and efficient technologies is crucial to the solutions. But even very rapid deployment will take time to have a significant impact on demand. Also, it's necessary to keep a strong international dialogue on energy market and the security. So let's move uh, to the next part. We will have a quick uh, exchange about how this crisis may influence uh, East Asia countries in terms of the energy transition. So Yatin, can you... Introduce how dependent is three countries in East Asia uh, in terms of the Russia energy supplies.
0: Okay, let's discuss the three East Asian countries one by one. China imports around forty percent of its total crude oil imports from Russia. Uh, Regarding the natural gas, only China is physically connected to Russia via via a gas pipeline. Although it's only around 7% of total demand currently made through a comb- combination of the Serabea pipeline supplies and the Russian liquefied nitro guys And for Japan, Russia only accounts for 4% of its imports of crude oil and 9% of Japan's total liquefied natural gas imports in 2021.
1: It seems that Japan's dependence on Russia's oil and the gas is not that high as China's. So, what about South Korea, which is also a major player of international oil and the LNG liquefied natural gas market?
0: Well, the Russian Crude oil makes up 5.6% and the liquefied natural gas account for over 6% in Korea's respective total imports. For South Korea, imports crude oil mostly from Saudi Arabia, which make up nearly 30% of its total oil imports and with nearly 12% from the U.S. and uh, over 10% from COVID. So, John, do you think East Asia's oil and gas supplies from Russia would be under risk? Uh,
1: Let me see uh, specifically. For China, Russian crude oil and natural gas supplies uh, are not likely to be disrupted in any significant way due to the special relationship between these two countries. For Japan and South Korea, the government hold a very cautious attitude towards the issue. The two countries want to make balance between energy security and international geopolitical crisis. On the one hand, they take actions such as releasing some strategic oil reserves to weather the upsurge of oil and the natural gas price. On the other hand, I suppose they are preparing for the worst scenario in which... They might have to look for substitute oil and gas resources when they stop importing Russian fossil fuels.
0: Currently, the oil and gas price spikes are happening across the world. The international oil price has surpassed one hundred U.S. dollars per barrel for the first time since 2014. So. Zhang, how do you see that impact on China, Japan and South Korea?
1: In general, I think this will push the three countries to accelerate energy transition uh, by both installing more renewable power capacities and electrifying the road transport sector. Take China as example too, over 3 million of new energy passenger vehicles mainly battery electric vehicles sold in 2021. Due to the oil and the gas supply risk resulted from the war, I see the pace of a battery electric vehicle penetration might remain high, not only in China, but also in the, uh, the other two neighboring countries, at least in the near future.
0: Well said. On the other hand, crude price back can contribute to the development of renewable energy or power instead of fossil fuels in the long term for the three East Asian countries, because the continued construction of liquefied natural gas and other fossil fuel import infrastructure in East Asia. Could only reinforce the vulnerabilities associated with energy security and economic growth. Although natural gas is often seen as reliable and secure fuels in power generation to support cool phase out, the risk of supply security has significantly increased in various disruptions. Like geopolitical conflicts and the natural disasters.
1: Yeah, that's right. The global energy security now become a very high priority in many policymakers' agenda. Unlike the constantly fluctuating cost of fossil fuels, I think renewables have demonstrated a consistently lower cost over time. Especially it's hard to predict fossil fuel prices month in advance. So East Asian countries would be wise to achieve energy security by minimizing their dependence on imported fossil fuels. Their governments could design roadmaps to phase out coal and make policy to accelerate the deployment of renewable energy. So I think this is definitely one of the biggest challenges for the three countries to uh, pursue the energy transition under this very difficult international environment.
0: Uh, This is all for our episode. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you have any questions about any of our episodes, you are welcome to contact us via email info at rei.org.cn. Link in by searching REI. We wish our listeners stay well and healthy.
1: See you next time. Goodbye. See
0: you next time.